BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, good day, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is where you are. Thanks for tuning in to Line Drive Radio. It's another beautiful Wednesday in the greatest country in the world, America. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, hanging out here on Long Island. It's time to bring on my LDR teammate, Mr. Tam Bamford for the great city of Chicago. Hey, buddy, what's going on out in Chi-Town, pal? I hope you're not injured. I'm not injured. Uh, most of the White Sox are. Half of the Cubs are. Certainly the ego of the Cubs is. And, uh, yeah, we're just kind of trying to make it through another day in one piece while former players in this town continue to make headlines somewhere else. So, living the dream, brother. Living the dream in Chi-Town, baby. Well, here we go, man. We are uh, getting a little closer to the All-Star game. And the uh, College World Series is going to wrap up tonight. Um, I guess we could just do this real quick out of the gate here, pal, before we get into our major stick here uh, on Line Drive Radio. And a, and a big, uh, you know, thank you again to Revolver Podcast. We are a part of the family now, too. So if you guys didn't know that, uh, check them out. Uh, Revolver Podcast here at Line Drive Radio. And thanks to everybody for following and sharing. And make sure you check us out at Line Drive Radio, as always. But uh, College World Series here, buddy. Um... Vanderbilt won 8-2 in game one, and Mississippi State came back with a big 13-2 win to even the series, and it's all the marbles here uh, tonight. Want to take all. 22,000 fans in. Say it. Say it, Tab. 22,000 fans in. Omaha. Omaha, baby. Uh, the game's the other night, too, so they're getting good crowds. Um, good stuff. Who takes this thing, baby? Well, uh, as we, we talk about frequently um, – uh, I am here in uh, Chicago, and if there was ever a time to blame someone for something, I think we can all agree that uh, Vanderbilt has a case to blame uh, Jay Cutler for showing up and supporting the team in Game 2 of the, of the College World Series. Uh, I mean, look, it's, um, I mean, what's fascinating about this is that it, you've had two complete blowouts in, in the series, eight to two in the first, and then flip the script 13 to two in the second. Um, you know, I, I think 
Look, I've got I've got a bunch of buddies, uh, specifically two of the Tuthill brothers who went to Vanderbilt. And so if I don't ride with the Commodores, Lionel Richie and the Tuthill brothers will be very disappointed in me um, because obviously, uh, you know, they are the groomed, uh, assumed uh, heavyweight champion of the world coming in. Uh, I think everybody's just kind of going to assume that they're going to pull it out, but Mississippi State isn't going anywhere. So I'm going to ride with the Commodores. I'm going to go Vandy, uh, but and it's going to be closer than six or eleven runs tonight. I think you. I think you have a, a solid pitching matchup. Look, this is we don't get a lot of game sevens, uh, and when we do, we got to love it. And this is game seven. And if game seven at the professional level is exciting, these are kids, many of whom will be playing the last baseball game of their career. Uh, obviously, lots of uh, A-level, top-shelf, major league prospects in this game. But there are going to be a bunch of guys playing in this game, and this will be the last time they put on a uniform and pick up a bat in a game that matters other than bragging rights. So um, you want emotion. You want all that goes into really exciting, emotional baseball. That'll be... That'll be the game to watch. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern tonight, ESPN2, for those that are looking for something to watch. Uh, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, winner take all, game three of the College World Series. Coming to you live from Omaha. Omaha, baby. And just like that, boom, it'll be all over. Fourth of July weekend. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's um, you know, when I hear you say that, like, you know, and it's a great point to pick out, like, some of these guys, this will be their last baseball game that they play. And I think it's a, a trip when you when you, you think about either, even, like, Little League, the Little League championships that are broadcast and stuff. And some of these guys, you know, go on to become big names in the game of the sport. Or even take a kid like Chris Drury, you know, who's now the GM of the New York Rangers. And he was part of that, you know, minor league, uh, Little League baseball team years ago, so famously uh, uh, from Connecticut, right? Right? They were from... Yeah. Uh, so, um, and, and you look at his, his path, right? And then, you, you know, here this College World Series, and yeah, you're right. Some of these guys are going to go on and, and just do other things, and you're never going to hear them again. It might be one of the guys who make a, a huge impact in the game uh, tonight to win the whole damn thing. So I think that's just kind of a, it's a cool thing to kind of sit back and look. And it's going to be half of these guys or a quarter of these guys are going to go on and become professional baseball players. Some of these guys are going to become your dentists or your lawyers or your yep. uh your local landscape guy, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, everybody, I think, especially when we're less than two weeks from the draft, you know, obviously Jack Leiter and Kumar Rock are the two big pitchers for Vandy are guys that everybody's been paying attention to um, because they're, you know, these these are two guys that have been on the major league draft radar for years. You know, Leiter and Rock are both drafted out of high school, opted to go be Commodores. And now uh, odds are they'll both be turning pro. Um, obviously, Leiter has the, the family lineage in Major League Baseball. But, um, but yeah, I mean, what we love about college sports is that these every game could be the last for kids that go out there and they play with emotion, they play with heart because they're not getting paid, though they should and though they could moving forward. And that's a whole other podcast for us to get into the name and image likeness debate. But uh, – but the, but some of these guys are going to you know be two weeks from being a professional, and other guys that's it. So uh, absolutely love it. Good drama, and if you're looking for something on a Wednesday night with games either getting rained out or heated out, depending on which part of the country you're in, 
maybe uh, again 7 p.m. Eastern ESPN two. That's where you're going to be flipping the channel this evening. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, uh, sure. And uh, Ted, Baseball America. You know, speaking of the draft coming up, um, I mean, I know you're familiar with them, Baseball America, and I think they're a great follow on Twitter too. Uh, they released their uh, futures uh, roster. The All Star Futures game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've attended two of them. Um, and one in Miami, one in Washington, uh, as credentialed media, and they are. I think. This is something that not a lot of, I don't think any other sport does. I mean, you've got, you know, Under Armour has their All-America game for high school prospects. College, you've pretty much got the bowl games and that's it. Um, hockey, you know, there's an AHL All-Star game. But this is the best prospects from any level uh, going into the same venue where the major leaguers are going to play their All-Star game. And playing against each other. I mean, you've got guys on these rosters that are in high A, double A, triple A, uh, you know, that are going to go out there. And you've seen some guys come have this be really a coming out party. You know, Eloy Jimenez, I think, really emerged on the national scene after having a really big futures game. We've, we've seen guys like Wander Franco and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, really get the, their first crack at the limelight in this game. And there are going to be some guys that you've heard of before, you know, when you look at the American League roster. And this year they're doing American League, National League. They're not doing, uh, you know, U.S. versus the world, which they've done at times in the past. But, you know, two of the big draft picks from the last couple drafts, Adley Rushman and Spencer Torkelson, uh, which sounds like a law firm, Rushman and Torkelson. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, catcher in the Orioles organization, uh, you know, corner infielder in the Tigers organization, Austin Martin, who is a top five pick for the Blue Jays. You know, some really big names are going to be out there uh, for the American League. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., another one. You know, now that Wander Franco, who we talked about a lot recently on this show, is up in the majors. Bobby Witt Jr. is probably the best shortstop prospect in the game. Um, You know, Julio Rodriguez, we've talked about. He's going to represent the Dominican Republic in the Olympics. One of the top prospects in the Seattle organization. They're all going to be playing for the American League. As is a young kid from Cuba, Yolki Cespedes, who's the half brother of Yoenis Cespedes, who's the Chicago White Sox. Really you you got to have you got to have Yermin Mercedes and Yolki Cespedes. <laughs> I mean, the, some of these baseball names Corner, are great. <laughs> cornering the market on names that start with Y. Uh, nationally, you know, I think one of the names that jumps out is Francisco Alvarez, nineteen-year-old catcher in the Mets system. Uh, you know, Marco Luciano, Nolan Gorman are going to be there. C.J. Abrams, who is one of the top shortstop Marco prospects Lucy, in baseball. I love these names, man. But these you're like, awesome. how the hell? How the hell does C.J. Abrams get a crack at the infield in San Diego with Machado and Tatis signed for the rest of their lives? Good luck. But uh, but you know, possible trade bait. The Chicago Cubs have Brennan Davis going. He's a fascinating story. Six foot four outfielder, played really high level high school basketball. Um, Alec Thomas, another Chicago guy, went to Mount Carmel High School. His dad was the strength coach for the Sox for years. Sox didn't take him, so he goes to Arizona. So there are a lot of young guys that I think with the increasing um, eyeballs that go on the next generation and the way that we're now really opening ourselves up to digging deeper on prospects and organizational depth, uh, lots of guys that they're going to be you know, really excited to see. However, Paul, one guy 
one guy has already stolen all the headlines from the Futures game. One guy is the player that everyone is going to want to pay to see. And it's a guy who has played two professional games. Not two seasons. Games. Two professional games. Jason Dominguez, a.k.a. The Martian, uh, an 18-year-old. Dude was born three days after my 23rd birthday, because that doesn't make me feel freaking ancient. Uh <laughs> 2003 birthday, uh, signed one of the largest, I think the largest international signing bonus the Yankees have ever given. He got $5.1 million um, in 2019, and then the pandemic put the kibosh on what would have been his first minor league season. So he just joined the, the uh, short season Yankees squad down in Florida earlier this week. And now he's going to go to the Futures game. He'll be the youngest player in the Futures game since Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the first player ever to get an invite with no, without having played at least one professional season under his belt. He's played two games and he made the roster. Yeah, but he's uh, a Come on. You know they made mean? that. Well, look, he's one of the most tight prospects we've seen in a while. He's, I think MLB Pipeline's got him top 25. I think he's number 24 or 23 overall by MLB pipeline standards and they do a pretty good job uh, switch hitting outfielder who's built like a brick tank and just unloads on the ball. The Yankees have been really high on him. Everybody was watching where this kid would go and the Yankees got him out of the Dominican Republic a couple years ago. So uh, Jason Dominguez will be the guy who everyone's eyeballs are on, but we shouldn't sleep on some of the other folks because Julio Rodriguez also from the Dominican is a special player. Uh, you've got some players like Jeter Downs, who was a big part of the Mookie Betts deal, um, who's going to be there. Vidal Brian, another shortstop in Tampa's organization, because why not? Uh, my favorite name in the game, Jake Berger, third baseman in the <laughs> White Sox organization. Um, and Yankees prospect Luis Funky Cold Medina will be there also. <laughs> so lots of, lots of exciting young guys. The prospects game is great. The tickets aren't crazy expensive. Uh, this game will be on before the home run derby, uh, the day before the all-star game in Denver. Young kids going at it. Uh, you'll have American and National League, which I love that format. It was kind of tough when you were going world versus the U.S. because you were leaving some kids out on both sides based on what you needed position-wise. So, uh, But this is great. I mean, you've got 18-year-olds. You've got... You know, some guys that were born in 95, 96, playing with guys that were born in 03. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun, and it's a great way to see what the next generation brings to the table. So uh, I think it, I think that game is also on ESPN, too, uh, or MLB Network. I'd have to go back and check. Um, but, yeah, definitely worth tuning into because depending on who your team is, I think lots of teams have got strong representation in this game. Uh, and... Again, it, it's the future. Um, but, yeah, uh, the this game will be uh, on Monday, July 12th. Uh, so give that, give that a watch if you get a chance because it's definitely worth uh, either the price of admission if you're in Denver or feel like making a trip out to Denver for whatever reason. Uh, and it's worth watching because there's great players. But it'll really be the first time that everyone – we'll be able to get a look at Jason Dominguez. So that'll be exciting because yeah, we've been and, waiting a year and a half to see him as a pro. And, and, and we've, only seen, we've only had two games to look at box score so far. 
Yeah, I want to ask you a couple more things about Jason here real quick, but uh, <laughs> that's not a double take, folks, again, with that kid from the Red Sox in the infield. Jeter Downs, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Boston Red Sox prospect. Jeter playing shortstop <laughs> for the Sox. Of course. You can't make this up, baby. Oh, man, you got to love it. Uh, there's, I just, you know, me, me and you obviously being hockey guys, I love – the names of these players sometimes. And, man, there's some great baseball, young baseball names coming into uh, the league here, hopefully. Marco Luciano, baby. There you go. <laughs> In Frisco. You know, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Giants. Yeah, you got to love this, man. You got, yeah, you've got just Drew tremendous. Waters on the Braves. If that's not a Braves name, Drew Waters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Drew, Drew, uh, Drew Waters, actually, you know, he's a uh, – He's a young guy that I think a lot of people sleep on down there, and he's been – every time somebody talks about a trade with the Braves desperately needing something, his is a name that pops up. So that's the other thing, too, like with the trade deadline coming right after – you know, a little bit after the All-Star game here, the other thing that's interesting is some of these prospects, you're going to hear their names popping up all over the place. Brett Batty of the Mets – Whenever somebody on you know a Mets writer wants to talk about the Mets going after Chris Bryant or something like that, Brett Batty's name comes up. So, again, like with just the increased amount that we care about the next generation prospect pipeline, everything else, and all the attention that it gets from whether it be Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, Fangraphs, MLB Pipeline, we've got so much more information about these guys. You can read about it. But being able to see him and see him play against the other best prospects out there is a lot of fun. So I just uh, highly encourage checking that out before the home run derby. Yeah, I just wish I was the uh, the field announcer uh, for the uh, for the pitchers here on the on the National League side. Uh, Cade Cavalli, Ronzi Contreras, Andre Jackson, Matthew Libertore, Nick Lodolo on the Reds, Max Meyer, Quinn Priest, the baby on the Pirates. That's oh, yeah. not a baseball name, baby. Manuel Quinn, Rodriguez. Quinn Priester has has that feel like they need to bring back the pillbox hats that Pete yes! Colby wore. Absolutely. Like if you if you hand the ball to Quinn Priester, you better have some yellow pinstripes on the bucket. <laughs> and my brew is Ethan Small rounding out the pitches there for the National League. Good stuff. Hey, look, uh, swinging back to uh, to Jason here, Dominguez, and how this all works. I always love asking you the business side of things real quick. Um, just as far as you say the two professional games, talk about how he gets that contract at 5.1 mil. And then you, you you talk about him. He's on the team down in Florida right now. Where is it now? Is, is there uh, a certain amount of games that he has to play before the big team can call him up? Where Where is he now? Talk about from where he is now from actually getting to the starting lineup and stuff. Uh, just for general sake, you know, just for um, uh, you know, a, a kind of zoom back from this right now uh, on a on a on a business and a managerial level, and the uh, on the side of how they get this kid eventually into the Yankees lineup. Well, if you pay attention to Twitter after Brian Cashman said we suck the other night, I think lots of Yankees fans are calling for the kid to show up at Yankee Stadium this weekend. Um, which you know, with the Mets and in town, if you even want to say that, driving over the bridge, um, you know, that would be incredible drama. It's not going to happen. Um, so first part of your question, the, the 5.1 million. So 
this is a kid who had the eyeballs of a lot of people in the Dominican well before he was able to sign. And it really came down to a bidding war. And teams will put as much money as they feel like they need to in front of these young prospects to try and get them. Um, depending on where the prospects are playing, um, you know, there are handlers uh, that will help facilitate relationships with families. Um, and sometimes they'll get a piece. Uh, sometimes they won't. Uh, a few years back, uh, the Atlanta Braves general manager was actually banned um, because they were uh, mixing the money, if you will, between prospects and classes uh, so that guys were getting a little bit bigger shake than they were reporting because they were moving money through third parties. So that's a no-no. So teams get a certain amount of money that they're allowed to spend in international pools. That's the way that Major League Baseball has laughingly tried to balance the playing field internationally. Um, teams have uh, academies in the different countries uh, where they'll help to have a little bit more professional eyeballs and guidance on some prospects. But they're, I mean, they're identifying kids that are like seventh and eighth graders to go into these, you know, facilities and start working out and you can start signing guys when they're 16, 17 years old. And it, I think, you know, for a lot of folks in the U S the idea that a kid that would theoretically be sophomore, junior in high school, just getting his driver's license, one is getting handed millions of dollars feels insane. And two, uh, is making the decision to become a professional player feels insane. But that's the system that's set up and that's the culture that there is. And, you know, once, you know, a lot of them will stay in like a Dominican winter league or they'll play short season ball down there. And then they'll come to the U S when they're 17 or 18 years old. And I've told the story on here before. I, I had a few really fascinating conversations with a young guy who's climbing the Arizona Diamondbacks ranks. Frankly, I was a little disappointed that he didn't get an invite to the Futures game, but there are some other shortstops that got the invite. Geraldo Perdomo. And, you know, this is a guy who at 17, 18 years old was dropped into the United States, was trying to learn English while trying to be a professional baseball player, living at someone else's house, um, you know, I think a lot of us hear stories from Hall of Famers. You hear from guys like, you know, Juan Marichal and Orlando Cepeda, Louis Tiant talking about how they learned English. Um, you know, in some cases you hear stories from old old guys that came over and they're you know, the words that they learned were on a menu at a McDonald's and there you know, there have been prospects that talked about how watching T V shows like friends help them to learn English. Um, lots more organizations are starting to put better structure in place to help these guys learn the language. Um, but it's still, I mean, when I met with Perdomo and interviewed him a couple years ago, he's 18 years old. Watching him in the field, he looks like Carlos Correa. He's a you know just six-two, fluid, gorgeous fielder, switch hitter, everything you'd ever want in a leadoff hitter. And then I go to interview them, and they've got the backup catcher who played college baseball at Maryland as the interpreter. So instead of getting ready for the game, you know, prepping, you know, with the pitchers, he's translating an interview. And this kid's got braces on, and he's a high school senior. Wow. 
and you know, just I think we take for granted what a lot of these guys go through. But um, in the case of Dominguez, everybody wanted him. Everybody was willing to throw a lot of money at him. Uh, he had the largest signing bus. He and Robert Poisson, Poisson, I always butcher his last name, shortstop prospect in the Oakland organization, both got $5.1 million that year. And that was the largest bonus that I think either team had ever given somebody. Uh, but Dominguez is, like I said, he is built like a tank. Um, he's a center fielder. He switch hits. He hits the snot out of the ball. Um, and so, you know, theoretically, he would have probably gone to Florida and done extended spring training and then short season, low class A last year. But uh, the pandemic crushed that. So now he he'll re- he just reported earlier this week um, to the Florida League where he'll play with the Yankees this year. Generally, teams, uh, especially with guys that they've invested a lot of money in, there will be specific things that they're going to want to see these guys do. And they'll be coaching them up on specific things. But occasionally, you know, you'll have someone who's that special that will just fly up the rankings. You know, Juan Soto never played in a Futures game because he jumped three levels in the minors in one year and showed up on opening day in Washington the next year. Crazy. He went from he went from an intriguing, touted prospect to the majors in one year and didn't even get an invite. So, um, so it kind of the, the timeline to get to the majors really depends on the how long the organization can wait, how long they feel like they need to wait, and how much they really want to invest in developing the kid. Um, but I think you know everything that we've heard about this kid is that his work ethic is incredible. His athletic, I mean, people have. Obviously, you're a freak of nature. He's called the Martian because it feels like his talent is otherworldly. Um, but people obviously are going to make like Mike Trout comparisons, and having anybody live up to that is kind of ludicrous at this point. But, I mean, everything that you hear out of the Yankees organization is that he, this kid's legit and he's the future. So, you know, I would I would conservatively guesstimate that maybe late 23 would be the earliest you might see him at Yankee Stadium. Maybe 24 would be a more appropriate timeline. But again, you look at the Juan Soto path, and I think that was before COVID, and he was able to spend a full season climbing. Luis Robert played at all three levels in one season. Uh, So I think with him just getting started at the end of June, I don't. I I would be shocked if he made it as far as Double A this year. I think he might, you know, get a bump to High A out of the Florida Rookie League. But here, I think it's wide open. If we can, you know, get back to normal and get a full season in, and he's able to participate in some semblance of a, you know, bona fide spring training with the prospects. You know that I think next year is when you really start to see the climb, and next year is when you start to. Re- evaluate this year again he's just started his professional career after taking more you know a year and a half away because of the pandemic only really working on his own and doing what he can on his own so but Jason Dominguez is a name that everybody's going to have written down and circled and you can go on eBay and look at his baseball cards already going for hundreds of dollars if and he before he ever played a professional inning saw a professional pitch so, you know, I was hoping to see the market sink incredibly when he went 0 for 2 with a strikeout and a pop-out in his first game. I figured the bottom would fall out and we'd be able to go get a good bargain, but no dice. Um, so, yeah, it, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how they slow-boat him, but at the Futures game, 
with his age being 18 years old, no professional really experience going in. I mean, he'll have two weeks of professional time before he gets there. And he'll be seeing some pitchers who are 23, 24 years old playing double A, triple A on the cusp of the majors. You know, I, I think we need to temper expectations for what he's going to do in the game. He might get you two at bats, but it'll be the first time that a national audience will be able to see Jason Dominguez play baseball. And that is really exciting for the sport. No doubt about it. He's coming to the Yankees, baby. So that's always good. Not not a bad place to land in in New York, New York City, baby, in the Bronx in terms of getting some exposure and making more money. So no pressure at all. No, no pressure at all. All right. Well, let's um just run through the stands real quick as we transition into a couple more headlines we want to get into before we get into the good and the WTF here at Line Drive Radio. Uh, American League, the East, the Bo Sox still up front. Two games up on the Jays and six and a half games up on my Jankees, who are currently playing Shohei Otani right now in the Angels. Um, then in the Central. Shohei's pitching tonight. Yeah, we'll if, we'll love it, man. Kevin Durant's back. Yeah, you know, so Kevin Durant things- showed up to watch him bet you know, earlier this week. We'll see if KD, who's got nothing better to do because his Nets are at home watching the playoffs like the rest of us, <laughs> see if he shows up to watch Shohei pitch at the big stadium tonight. It's good stuff. So, Chai Sox are still lead out in Central. Two and a half up on the Cleveland engines there. Out West, Atros still holding on first place with the A's a game and a half. And then, man, long way towards the end there with Seattle. Seven, seven games back there out in the West in the American League. Over the National League, the Amazing still in first place. Three up on the Nats. We're going to get into the Nats here in a, just a short bit. And then the five up on Philly in the Central. Look at those Brewers now with a five-game league. Five-game lead on those Chicago Cubs, belovedly loved by Mr. Ted Bamford. And Reds back behind them with seven games back as well. And then finally out west, the Giants still holding on to first place with a game and a half up on the Dodgers and three and a half up on the mighty Padres. So there's a quick rundown of the current standings right now in MLB. And let's uh, switch over to a couple more headlines here as well, too. Just uh, tab, uh, a quick glance there at the standings. Anything to say? I always love to get your commentary as we as we run through the standings here first, and then we'll get into a little Kyle Schwaber and uh, the new Latino baseball exhibit that you've been involved uh, So, you know, before we dig into uh, the Bambino in Washington, you know, they've climbed back. They've got Washington's won three in a row. They've been playing really well. It feels like they take the first two months of the season off every year, and then they start just rolling people. But think about this for a second. The Mets are seven games over five hundred. First place in the National League East, what was supposed to be the most competitive division in baseball, which you could argue with four teams within five and a half games of first, it's pretty close to that. The Mets are in first. They have scored 270 runs, and they are seven games over 500. The San Diego Padres are 15 games over 500 in third place in the West. And they've scored 370 runs. Uh, you know, the, the, the Cubs and Brewers have scored 335 runs each. Uh, the Reds are in third with 388. I mean, the Mets have scored more than 100 runs less than, at least 100, I should say, because they're exactly 100 less than the Padres. At least 100 runs less than the top three teams in the West. They are the only team in the National League with a sniffing snowball's chance in hell of a playoff berth 
that hasn't scored 300. The only other team in the National League that's under 300 runs scored is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they've allowed 370. They're a tire fire. We've been over that. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jack Sparrow might pitch for them this weekend. Um, <laughs> I'd pay to see that. <laughs> and the Met, the Mets have scored five fewer runs than the Pirates have. But they've allowed 254, which is an insane number. Even the Dodgers touted pitching staff has allowed 296. So, I mean, when you look around, I think obviously a lot of people are looking at the job Gabe Kapler's doing with San Francisco councils doing with your adopted fight in Milwaukee Brewers. Um, the, uh, the fight in Euchre's, uh, up there in, in beer town. But I, I don't know how you ignore Luis Rojas as the manager of the year in the national league with what he's done with all the injuries, the significant guys missing time. Grom has missed time two or three times now. Uh, it's a horrible division. Come on, Dan. It's an under. It's not a horrible division. It's an underwhelming division. Uh, when you consider that Miami is tied with the Mets for the best run differential, a plus sixteen, and the other three are upside down, the Braves are the biggest disappointment in the game by far. Like, with all due respect to your Yankees, the fact that the Braves are four games under five hundred as we you know walk into July is ludicrous to me with the amount of talent they have Mm -hmm. and they can't blame all of it on Marcelo Zuna being a piece of crap human being and then the other the other one is you know the fact that the White Sox are dealing with as many injuries as they are they've won you know two in a row here against Minnesota who if Atlanta wasn't running away with the title of most underwhelming disappointment just tire fire in the league Minnesota being 12 and a half back of the White Sox would be there you know, Josh Donaldson, it's a home run off Lucas Giolito last night and screams it's not sticky anymore as he crosses the plate. Giolito was like, okay, whatever, you know, not exactly happy about him making that accusation, and then the Sox go on and beat him. Uh, you know, maybe uh, Donaldson needs to worry about his team being 11 games under five hundred and closer to the last place Royals and tied with the Tigers in the division than – Throwing shade at Lucas Giolito. He's just looking uh, for bright spots in his season, Tab. I mean, that's two all. Run, two run Jack in the first thing. Well, he sure as hell ain't getting traded to the White Sox now, that's for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, we've talked about it. The American League East is the best division in baseball. Four teams over 500. The Yankees, seven and a half back in fourth place, which is kind of crazy. Um, but the Red Sox just don't want to go away. Uh, now they've won five in a row, and they're starting to extend things a little bit. Humiliated my Yanks. Yep. So, I mean, there, there's a lot to watch. You know, there are teams that, you know, will be drafting highly this year and already looking at next year. You know, Texas, Arizona, Pittsburgh. You know, Colorado still has to make a decision with what Trevor Story is going to do after he participates in the home run derby. And then Kansas City started the season so well, and then the tires completely fell off. They've lost their last seven coming into Wednesday. And Baltimore's Baltimore. But again, Baltimore has some young pieces. I've talked about it. If you're voting for the All-Star game in the final three, final nine in the outfield, make sure you give Cedric Mullins some love. Stop voting for Mike Trout. He's not playing. He's on the 60-day. Get Cedric Mullins to the All-Star game. He actually deserves it. Um but with guys like Adley Rushman still coming, I think Baltimore's got plenty to be excited about. And they're playing for a high draft pick next year. So them being almost 16 games behind the Yankees is not really a surprise. But um, the the races are starting to get interesting in July is when you start seeing teams 
shake themselves out. You know, Milwaukee has a five-game lead, but if you look at their schedule in June, it was incredibly soft. Hey. Uh, and and that, that course will correct here in July, and September is not going to be easy for the Brewers. But they've, you know, handled their business two nights in a row against the Cubs. Now they got a five-game lead. The Cubs have dropped five straight with a weekend set where they know through a combined no-hitter against the Dodgers and then haven't won since. First combined no-hitter in the history of the Cubs franchise, and they haven't won since. So uh, so the Brewers, all you have to do is give them, you know, throw some flowers at them for handling their business and extending their lead in the division. And, you know, this is a time where the Cubs need to buck up and figure out who they are because July starts tomorrow and the trade deadline is coming. And we've talked all year about the Cubs, where they are before the trade deadline will decide ultimately whether or not they're going to keep this team together, buy or sell. And we were talking a week, two ago about the Cubs buying, but five games back and sliding the way that they are and with some of the mounting health issues that they've got, they might be sliding into seller territory. And that would be fascinating if Chris Bryant or Javi Baez or Anthony Rizzo actually hit the market. I think the most likely guy to go is Craig Kimbrell, who's been absolutely filthy dominant back to his Hall of Fame form at the end of the bullpen. And as we know, closers can uh, bring you a, a hefty penny at the deadline, especially if they're rentals. But uh, but the the Brewers and Cubs, I think, is the is the matchup to watch here in the National League, because uh, they, with the implications to the present and future in Chicago, uh, and what could happen before the deadline if they go the wrong direction hard here. And look, they're two games up on Cincinnati, three games up on St. Louis in second place now, where they were comfortably fighting Milwaukee at the top of the division with a touchdown separating them from the rest of the heap. So. Uh, Interesting days ahead in the National League Central with Milwaukee and Chicago. Yeah, a lot of fun. And uh, it, like I said, I have some fun with the Brewers here and stuff. It'll be great to see if they pass the test that you have laid upon, upon them uh, coming up here in the next couple months and then obviously in September. Uh, but that's what it's all about, man. If you're going to be the best, you got to be the best. you got to earn your stripes throughout the field and obviously stay healthy. Uh, and that's coming up a little later on here in LDR as well, too. Uh, let's talk about a guy who's been pretty hot, uh, and that's Mr. Kyle Schwarber there on the uh, the Nationals. Take away his, uh, his cool. historic week he's having here, buddy. Historic week, historic month. Uh, let's just break it down. Tail to tape for Kyle Schwarber, the artist formerly known as the Chicago Cubs left fielder, Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> who they don't even give a qualifying offer, let him walk, and he goes to Washington this year on an, a fairly inexpensive deal. And in April, he struggled, batted 206, five runs batted in, and 63 at-bats, not ideal. Struck out exactly one-third of the time he'd stepped to the plate in April. In May, things got a little bit better. Still struck out almost exactly a third of the time that he stepped to the plate, but the batting average went up to 245. Uh, entering June, he had nine home runs and 23 runs batted in. In the month of June, your uh, new favorite left fielder and mine, Kyle Schwarber, has 16 home runs. 16 of his 28 hits in the month have left the yard. Uh, he has as many runs batted in, 30 as he does strikeouts. He's batting th 292. Has an OPS of 11.55, which is ludicrous. However, ESPN is reporting that he may sit out the home run derby and opt to make sure that he gets himself ready for a big second half, which would be disappointing. You no, know, he had a he had an epic 
home run derby round against Bryce Harper when the derby was in Washington a few years ago. Um, the dude obviously hits absolute bombs, and he's, he's now the all-time ho- record holder for home runs in a month for anyone in the history of the Washington slash Montreal Expos franchise. Uh, I think only Sammy Sosa's 20 home runs in a month is more than Kyle Schwarber's 16 this month. So he is making history for the Washington Nationals, and with Juan Soto admittedly not having a season to his standards from what we've seen from him thus far in his career. Schwarber's been the man for the Nats, and he has really helped them to bounce into a position here where they're actually interesting and chasing the New York Mets in first place. They've gone from the bottom of the heap to second place, and they're uh, making some noise. So uh, Kyle Schwarber having a big month. Look, he's a great guy. He was always really involved in the community in Chicago. Fun-loving dude who... I think the urban legend of Kyle Schwarber will always be there after he blew his knee out early in the season in 2016 and didn't play again until he went and took a thousand at bats in a batting cage in a weekend to get ready so he could DH in the World Series in 2016 and then actually hits pretty well for a guy that hadn't seen a live pitch in six months practically on one leg for the Cubs. Uh, always had light tower power, was drafted as a catcher out of the university uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, He's a fighting Hoosier. um, And uh, took one look at Wilson Contreras and realized that his future was not uh, behind the plate. Uh, And really did a nice job of transitioning himself into a a pretty decent outfielder. Played high school football against some guys that are in the NFL now uh, in Middletown, Ohio, which if you're from the Midwest, if you're from anywhere, you know that high school football in Ohio is maybe second only to Texas, and people in Ohio would probably flick me off for saying that it's second to anything. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he he's a fun-loving dude who loves playing the game, and he's having a breakout month, and he's really starting to climb into that star status with 25 jacks and 53 runs batted in here before the All-Star game. So love seeing it, hate seeing it for a team that isn't the Cubs, but the change of scenery has done wonders for him, and he's having a big month. So tip of the cap to Kyle Schwarber for making history for the Washington Nationals. We'll see if we'll see if he loses another one today. He gets it to 17 this month. Well, I'll tell him something else. Uh, yeah, put him in a derby, man, for God's sakes. Uh, 30 home runs in 2017, 38 in 2019. He's on a pretty good run here to maybe blow those two, you know, best uh, stats in terms of home runs for his career. And uh, it's amazing, man. He's what, he's 28 years old, came in 2015. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you look at uh, – you know, you consider Schwab's here a, a veteran, but, you know, he's literally only been in the league five, six years, you know? It's just Yeah, crazy. well, and, and you forget, like, he came up 15. He missed all of 16 because of the knee injury. Yeah, he had that too, yeah. So, so really, I mean, and then last year was cut short because of the pandemic. So, really, he's played two complete 162-game right? seasons. When you look at that, isn't that insane? Yeah, and he feels like he's been around forever. But this is the crazy thing. Like, he hasn't played that much Major League Baseball. He's 28, and then we were just talking about Jason Dominguez was born. He was, so Schwarber was born on the 5th of March, 1993. Jason Dominguez was born on the 7th of February, 2003. So Schwarber is almost just a month, almost exactly a month short of being a decade older than Jason Dominguez. Uh, and these are guys that will probably be playing against each other on the East Coast at some point in interleague play between Washington and New York. 
unless Schwarber, you know, is wearing a different uniform by the time uh, Dominguez gets up. But yeah, I mean, this is, like I said, always a great interview, always a great ambassador for the game, always just lived life to the fullest in Chicago. You know, when, after John Lester's last game in Washington with the Cubs, you know, with the pandemic shut down, Schwarber actually made a tribute video for John Lester, who's now his teammate in Washington. And all the players went out and they played it on the Jumbotron out in left field at Wrigley for him. And it was a, a video of balls that Kyle Schwarber misplayed in the outfield. <laughs> what? Well, balls that he screwed up while John Lester was on the mound. And it was like, a, I love you. You've been a great teammate. I'm glad that I could screw things up for you type thing. And then they end up going to Washington together this offseason. So um, just he's, he's, he's everything that you love about baseball players. He's just a fun-loving dude who's out there living his dream every day. And he's hitting the cover off the ball right now. So uh, love me some Kyle Schwarber. He will always be a favorite. You know, my oldest son collects his baseball cards. Um, and so he's just, he's a guy that you really, really easy to be a fan of. And unfortunately that's not true for everybody in major, in major league baseball or professional sports, but Kyle Schwarber is a guy that's really easy to cheer for. And I'm glad that he's found a new home and he's doing really well because he's a guy that deserves every accolade and certainly every dollar that he gets. Good stuff, man. It's uh, another, another good star here to another great story to watch here in this season, which is good. And, uh, for me as a Yankee fan, catch those Metsies, baby. Put some stress on them. Let's I'll tell go. you what, for, for whatever he got, $8 million for a year from the Nationals, that's a left-handed bat that would have looked really damn good in your Yankee lineup, too. I know, but he's not that money. I mean, any left-handed bat would look good in the Yankee lineup at this point. <laughs> It'd be one of these things that's not like the others. Uh, um, sometimes, sometimes I put a mirror in front of the TV so it puts everything backwards and makes me think that we've got, yeah. you know. Left-handed hitters in the line. That's how Gary Sanchez tries to catch a curveball, too. <laughs> All right, but, enough, uh, enough, yeah, enough. Much You're loved in my guy, Kyle Schwarber. Good stuff. All right, um, look, man, uh, this is pretty cool to have uh, you here here on LDR to talk about this, but the new Latino baseball exhibit is opening at the Smithsonian's uh, Museum of American History uh, tomorrow. And... Um, you, my friend, were a big part of uh, planning this whole thing. So uh, take it away, pal. Exciting stuff. Congratulations. And uh, this is pretty cool stuff, man. Well, I, I, I don't know that I would use the word big. Uh, but uh, so play, play ball, P-L-E-I-B-O-L. Play ball in the Barrios and the big leagues uh, is an exhibit at the National Museum of American History of the Smithsonian uh, that's opening in July of this year, finally. Uh, and it's going to begin a national tour through uh, Smithsonian-affiliated museums across the country uh, this year as well. Uh, back in 2015, the Smithsonian had a, a meeting behind closed doors with some folks that were invested in uh, growing the knowledge base of the history of the game uh, and the specifically the way that baseball was a part of the Latino experience here in the United States. And if you go to, uh, if you look it up, uh, or if you go to AmericanHistory.si.edu slash Latinos hyphen and hyphen baseball, 
You can read more about the exhibit. There's some great pictures. Uh, back in the, at that event in 2015, uh, we organized a national collecting initiative with great museums and libraries and some really incredible folks around the country. Uh, my dear friend, uh, Adrian Burgos, who is a professor at the University of Illinois, was uh, the incredible guy uh, who got me invited to that. There's a fun picture of us on the beautiful rooftop overlooking Washington, D.C. on that page. Uh, you can see my fat self in the middle of it. Uh, everybody wearing a nice dark shirt or a blazer, and there's me in a checkerboard shirt sticking out like a sore fat thumb. Um, but uh, but Adrian and I were you know working together on, on building a thing called La Vida Baseball uh, in partnership with the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, at that, you know, when we were out there, we had a wonderful uh, conversation, uh, a panel discussion, which Adrian was a big part of. He's written a number of books about the, the history of Latino baseball in the U.S. Um, great, great historian of the game. He was on the Negro Leagues Committee um, that brought a, a number of those players in. And he helped write a book, uh, Play Ball, uh, that's available through the Smithsonian's website and on site uh, that he co-wrote with Margaret Salazar Porzio, uh, who is an incredible woman, wonderful curator. I, I consider her to be one of the really bright, shining lights in the museum space right now, who's really a, a marvelous voice for sharing Latino history. Um, and, you know, I was really thrilled that... To, you know, play a small role in helping those two get together um, and connecting uh, La Vida Baseball with them to produce an, a really phenomenal video that, that's going to play in the exhibit as well. Um, and then when the All-Star Game was in Washington, D.C., uh, a, a few years back, uh, we, Adrian and I, uh, worked with the Smithsonian to host a, a really remarkable event um, we had uh, the president of the Hispanic Heritage Foundation was there. Uh, Omar Minaya, the former GM of the New York Mets, was there with us talking about uh, the ways that philanthropy uh, really t is married to baseball and the way that Latinos engage in philanthropy and how Latino athletes have engaged in philanthropy and baseball and how those two have been tied together through so much of the Latino story. And so that was an awesome night just Great audience. We had some really incredible food. They took some absolutely remarkable artifacts out of their collection. Um, but it, it's going to be a really cool event. Uh, I would call it an event. It's going to be, again, uh, an exhibit at the National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C., in collaboration with the Smithsonian Latino Center, but then also the Smithsonian's Traveling Exhibit Services uh, sites uh, with their uh, partner institutions all over the country are going to be able to present this. So uh, you can go look for that uh, at if there's a Smithsonian partner uh, in your neck of the woods and in, in your local uh, city or whatever, uh, you might be able to go see it there. Um, but it was really uh, the group of people that we worked with uh, on that were really remarkable. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to take really any credit for this, but it was just a remarkable group of folks to be a small part of uh, and be part of this conversation with Margaret and uh, and Adrian as they were putting that book together. And then uh, Robin Moray, who's also one of the tremendous curators out there. Margaret and Robin have really you know, become tremendous friends. 
and Adrian, again, I, I consider him more than a colleague. He's a, he's a very dear friend and one of the smartest, just most wonderful storytellers, uh, tremendous writer. Go look up Adrian Burgos on Amazon. Make the guy some money. He's written some really tremendous books about the history of the game. Um, and from a uniquely Latino perspective, and if you're in high school and you're looking to take classes on the intersection of culture and sports and Latino culture and sports, he's got some really fabulous stuff that he's doing down at the University of Illinois uh, in Champaign-Urbana. So really, really cool exhibit. Just wanted to spend some time here on Line Drive Radio uh, sharing that that's opening here in July. It's been you know five-plus years of uh, having collecting events all over the country. Um, they've recorded oral histories from players, um, from fans, from men and women who have played baseball, softball, um, the way that the game has grown. Um, they've got a really incredible collection. I was able to connect them with minor league baseball uh, and gets a really incredible collection from the Copa de la Diversión program. The minor league baseball has done to really do an incredible job of engaging with their Latino communities throughout the country as well. So um, really, really cool exhibit. I encourage everybody to go look for it online. Um, you know, if you get a chance to go to D.C., I'm hoping to get my kids to D.C. at some point to see it um, while it's up because it's really something that I think every baseball fan should, you know, dig in and and understand. We've talked about Bob Kendrick with the Negro as, as being an incredible storyteller, and I think that they're – Baseball is like a lot of other histories in the United States uh, in that we don't talk enough about uh, the black pioneers in the game and certainly the Latino pioneers in the game. A lot of people think Roberto Clemente was the first Latino major leaguer. He was not. There was, there was a, a pitcher on the Cincinnati staff from Cuba when they beat the Black Sox in the World Series. And so um, obviously Latinos play a huge part in the game today. Um, they're almost, you know, they're, I think 35% of major league rosters at the start of the season. We talk about guys like Jason Dominguez in the futures game. We talk about guys like Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, uh, and the impact that guys like Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto are making at the major league level. But baseball is a much bigger part of the Latino experience in the United States. Uh, and this is a really going to be a tremendous exhibit, uh, speaking about that. So, uh, again, if you get a chance to go to D.C., if you're around the D.C. area, go check it out. Margaret and uh, Robin have done a really incredible job of putting it together. Highly encourage you buying the book that they put out. It's really phenomenal. English and Spanish, uh, kind of digging into that story uh, from the Smithsonian, uh, but also just a, it's something that needs to be talked about a lot more, and they're doing a really phenomenal job. At one of uh, you know the really landmark institutions in this country, the Smithsonian Museum of American History, um, you know, bringing that story to a larger audience. So really cool stuff. I encourage everybody to check it out. No, it is. It's excellent. It looks like it's incredibly well prepared and presented. Um, I'd love to get to see it myself one day down the road here. Um, my question to you, Tab, is obviously this was five years in the making. Um, just real quick, if you could talk about the – the part being part of the Smithsonian, the Smithsonian, and here, and where does Major League Baseball or the MLB Hall of Fame come into play as far as an exhibit like this, or uh, do they have their own separate thing at uh, at the Baseball Hall of Fame? Where why wouldn't I don't see any Major League Baseball affiliation here with any of the marketing, the promotions of this? No, so 
um, they were able to do some collecting events. They were able, to, we were able to, you know, help connect them with some Hall of Famers who donated some things. Other fans and folks donated some things. Minor League Baseball, like I said, donated some things. Um, but really, this was a grassroots effort to tell the grassroots story of how baseball was part of the Latino experience. Um, as far as the National Baseball Hall of Fame goes, um, they do a wonderful job uh, inside the National Baseball Hall of Fame of, of addressing some of these things. Um, they have a, a specific exhibit um, in the Hall of Fame, and if I remember correctly, it's on the second floor. Um, that exhibit is called Viva Baseball, okay. where they have artifacts from uh, all over Latin America. If you want to see a jersey that Juan Marichal wore, if you want to see um, you know, gloves from Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa and Orlando Cepeda and Tony Perez, they've got incredible artifacts in there. To me, you know, one of the, you know, one of the goosebump raising artifacts that I saw uh, in my relationship with the Hall of Fame is they have the cap that Roberto Clemente wore when he got his 3000th and final hit, um, which obviously he died in a plane crash after that season ended with exactly 3000. There's still dust on the bridge of the cap from where he tipped his cap after his helmet fell off rolling into second base. Um, but everything from Pedro Martinez to Albert Pujols to they've got a lot of really great stuff in there. So the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum has a Viva Baseball exhibit, uh, which is which is really good. Uh, but it focuses really on Latinos in the majors, and then it's got a lot of interesting history from uh, kind of the professional leagues in the Caribbean, um, and tells you and really really incredible video assets in the National Baseball Hall of Fame with. Hall of Famers and, and other Latino legends talking about their experiences growing up and the fact that, you know, even guys today like Nelson Cruz and Omar Vizquel, you know, the fact that they grew up playing with a cardboard box fashioned into a glove with a rubber band, um, which Nelson Cruz is a DH, so you understand him not having a glove. But uh, and if you've watched him play defense, especially with the Rangers in the World Series, you kind of appreciate that. But Omar Vizquel is one of the better defensive shortstops to ever play the game. And he grew up using basically a, an orange juice carton as a glove in Venezuela. So, um, so lots of really stories there in the Viva baseball exhibit. But again, this, this specifically the Smithsonian exhibit is really more grassroots telling the every man, every woman story of how baseball is part of the community and part of the, you know, the macro experience of, of Latino culture as it's evolved in this country over over the decades. And so really, really cool stuff. Uh, the video that's going to play has a lot of major leaguers talking about growing up in their country and, and what the experience is to be a Latino. But a lot of the artifacts are going to be from, you know, pickup leagues and, and kids playing and stuff like that. So uh, really true to the grassroots idea. And, and I think that's what's really, really exciting about the exhibit. No, it is. It's great stuff. And once you can go to AmericanHistory.si.edu and you get all the information on uh, late Latinos and baseball in the Barrios and the big leagues. Uh, and like the market is called Playball, spelled P-L-E-I-B-O-L. Uh, some great stuff there. And uh, some great insight there from you, Tab, man. That's um, 
It's a lot of work. Five years, and you know, when when people do stuff for any type of exhibit like that, that is, it's a challenging and uh, grassroots too. It's um, you know, as far as funding and all the stuff that's done on the ground to try and put this together, and then now to see it all come come about in one. Uh, big centerpiece here and, and put all together and now it's going to go out in this little exhibit tours uh it's just great stuff so look congratulations to you and, and everybody that was involved with it to uh from beginning to end here and uh uh it, it's great to um to see this and i'm definitely going to look in, uh, a little more into this myself here too but good stuff brother tip of the hat to you pal and everybody involved like stuff. i said I, I i i was uh i was more of a resource helping to connect uh, folks and, and get people together and that's where it all starts that we were bro. able to that's where it starts I mean the, the event that we were able to host was phenomenal um, it was really a, a special night you know before the all-star game was played in DC um, and Omar Minaya was incredible at that event uh, and so uh, you know being able to get you know the front office of the New York Mets and the Hispanic Heritage Foundation together um, and, and have them talking on common ground was really cool um, but yeah I'd, like I said I'd I, I helped connect a couple folks with a couple other folks and, and, and helped, you know, with some of the early level brainstorming. But uh, Margaret and Robin uh, really did all the heavy lifting here. Really tremendous curators. And the book that they put together with my buddy Adrian Burgos is just uh, phenomenal. Uh, that book is uh, it's from Penguin Random House. So if you want to go look at their website. Uh, and pick that up or go to the Smithsonian's website and buy it. I highly recommend it. There's really fun photos in there, um, you know, images of baseball cards, and it tells does a really good job of telling the story. So, um, like I said, I don't want to take too much out of this, but I do want to say that uh, it's a story that stories need to be shared more frequently, and that they've done a really good job and put a lot of time, sweat, and tears into this thing. So, um wanted to give them a little bump here on line drive radio because it's something that I know so many people have worked so hard on to finally see it opening and, and actually going out there for people to enjoy and engage with is really exciting. So shout out to Margaret and Adrian and Robin for doing the heavy lifting and getting this thing finally put together and ready to go public. Bravo. Great stuff. All right. It's break time here at LDR and take a quick break for our sponsors. And we'll come back around on the other side and we'll talk about the good and the what the, well, you know what we're talking about. Right here at LDR. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Line Drive Radio. Beautiful Wednesday as always. Talking about America's pastime here. And uh, on LDR right now, it's time for us to get into the good. The good stuff that's going on in MLB. If you listen to the last couple episodes, we had to unfortunately spend too much time on the sticky stuff. And all this other uh, nonsense. So we're going to get into the good stuff in the game here. And it's kind of... We'll get into some home run derby here again, leading up to the uh, the All Star game. But uh, Tab, uh, you got a couple guys you want to talk about here, and specifically Mr. Trey Mancini. Take it away, bud. Yes, yes, the good, the very good, the wonderful, the uh, the heartstring puller here. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about Shohei Otani, and they should be. You know what he's doing right now is 
something that we've never seen before. He's dominating on the mound. He's hitting the crap out of the ball, leading everybody in everything. And like I said, Kevin Durant is showing up at Yankee Stadium to watch him play. He's going to be in the home run derby, which from an entertainment value is next level. Um, you're going to have a guy who could potentially be the starting pitcher hitting in the home run derby. Never seen it before. May never see it again. He is not a generational talent. He is a freak of nature, and that's exciting. Pete Alonso is going to be back to defend his home run derby title after he upset Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in 2019. People forget that there was no home run derby last year because of the pandemic, so we're defending things from 19. Um, so the polar bear will be back. Uh, Trevor Story, the shortstop of the home field uh, Rockies, will be taking part. How much longer he is a member of the Rockies is TBD, but his maybe farewell party will be taking part in the Home Run Derby uh, as a member of the Rockies, assuming he's not traded in the week and a half before that. I can't imagine that they would. Uh, he could be the first uh, player to win the Home Run Derby in his home ballpark since Bryce Harper did it in Washington uh, not that long ago. But, you know, still still exciting to see somebody repping the home uh, Jersey, I think the last guy to win the home run derby in his home ballpark before Bryce Harper, if memory serves, and somebody can call me on this if I'm wrong, but uh, back in 1990, Ryan Sandberg won it at Wrigley. Um, you don't see a lot of middle infielders winning the home run derby, so uh, Story could do a, a, an impressive thing here as a shortstop to do it in his home ballpark. He sure as hell better know where to hit it for it to go out easy there because mm-hmm. he's been there his whole career. But those aren't the three guys that I care about. And Schwarber might not do it because he's going to rest. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is not going to do it because he wants to rest. Fernando Tatis Jr. isn't going to do it because he wants to keep his shoulder in one piece. Respect all of it. Good stuff. There's one guy that I'm going to be cheering for in the home run derby this year, and that is Baltimore's Trey Mancini. Uh, He's 29 years old. Uh, He is having a nice season for the Orioles. You know, 14 home runs, 52 runs batted in. Uh, He could probably make a pretty good case that he's worth being there. Uh, you know, one of the managerial picks or final vote option um, to represent the Orioles, uh, whether or not a last place team gets more than one. I think Cedric Mullins, like I said, should be there, but neither here nor there. Trey Mancini will be there for the home run derby. Why do we care? He's on Baltimore. He's got 14 home runs. That's not like almost 30, like Shohei. He didn't win it before like Pete Alonso. He's not from the home team like Trevor Story. Why do we care? Trey Mancini didn't play last year because he was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer and he spent the season undergoing treatment. And, you know, I think we talked early in the season about the reception that he got in his first at bat when he, you know, stepped into the box for the first time in Baltimore after dealing with that last year and the emotions that really overtook him and the way that opposing teams crowds have greeted him throughout this season has been pretty special. And so the idea that this guy, uh, who is, again, we talked about Schwarber and other guys, he's a class act, um, is going to be able to be there. And during the All-Star game every year, um, they do the stand-up to cancer moment. Um, you know, it's especially poignant for guys like a John Lester or Anthony Rizzo who have dealt with it. Uh, when growing up, Mancini dealt with it in his late 20s and came back and he's back playing in the majors after dealing with stage 3 colon cancer Uh and missing all of last season. So really remarkable story. Uh, I will be personally cheering for Trey Mancini. I'm on the Trey Mancini bandwagon 100% for this home run derby. Even if uh, someone from the Cubs and or White Sox gets an invite, 
Uh, I will be 100% behind Trey Mancini. Uh, it's going to be really, really special to see him out there after all that he's been through. So uh, the good this week, full marks to Trey Mancini for getting the invite and accepting uh, to go represent the Baltimore Orioles in the Home Run Derby in Denver in a couple weeks. They call him Boomer. Originally Boom Boom after uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. But uh, Boomer's going to be in there. It's a great story. Um, you know, for all you guys out there and ladies listening, get yourself checked. I mean, this story here about him surviving colon cancer um, is unbelievable. Um, you know, I myself am a survivor and uh, because uh, of checks, uh, because I got checked. And, you know, colon cancer is one of the most preventable if you get out there and you get checked. So, uh, it doesn't matter what age you are. Obviously, you know, I'm not saying if you're in, in your 20s or whatever and stuff like that. But um, just go for it. Get get checked out um, because it could save your life because it is one of the most preventable cancers if it's caught in its early stage. And, um, you know, Trey, stage three is just incredibly remarkable. Um, lost a couple of friends to it, a couple of guys I know. And, um, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm with you there, Tab, in terms of rooting for him. And it is an amazing story, um, especially when you get a second chance like that. And you deal with something like that. You know, it's a life-changing uh, event, obviously, and it's a great story, and I hope he knocks a ton out of the park, too, man. So I'm with you. So, uh, uh, it, Yeah, it, well, it, and you, like you said, you you know, you said, you know, maybe you don't think about getting checked in, in your 20s. I mean, he, he was diagnosed at, what, 27, 28 years old? I'll tell, I'll so, tell you guys, I'm so going to tell you one it's thing. Not, it's not going to avoid you because of your birthday. I know. I'm going to tell you one thing. When I went in, um, so this is seven years ago for me. So I'll never forget when I went in for my to see my surgeon at a prep, and I'll never forget talking to the the nurses, the uh, you know the assistants and everything that were bringing us in, setting us up. And I'll never forget when I'm turning around, she goes, she goes, "What's crazy about today is they are coming in younger." And you know, unfortunately, I just tell people it's it's not just necessarily that it's it, number one part, primarily if it's, if there's any history in your in your family of cancer, that's one thing. But it's in the water, it's in the food, it's in the air. And everything else. So, unfortunately, you never know. But, hey, look, I'll tell you this, man. I would go get checked every day, you know. I, I've done it, and I went for my annuals uh, every year uh, uh, post my surgery and stuff. And I had colon resection surgery, right? So, um, I would just say to everybody, just go out there and get it. It's a clean bill of health. And then I go, I went back uh, five, six years straight, uh, made sure, and a clean bill of health and everything else. And this was only last year, my first year of my Doc said, hey, you can you can take a break now. But that doesn't mean I'm going to just, you know, tail off. But testing, 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 it's like anything. So thanks for bringing that up, Tab. It isn't very important. It doesn't really matter what kind of age. If you have it in your family history, go get tested. The test is so easy today. Everybody thinks about, oh, it's horrible. you got to drink this stuff. The drinks now are very tasty, Tab. They're delicious. And, and let's be honest. People drink stuff that tastes a lot worse. <laughs> exactly. We've so got Malort go here in you Chicago, go 24 which is basically hour. paint thinner. Yes. You gotta go twenty four hours. You'll drink a little chicken broth there, and you'll be fine. Get a good night's sleep. You wake up, and, and you know what? If if, you, if you're nervous, memorize the lyrics to Moon River, like Fletch did, <laughs> and uh, and and we can all get through it together. Oh man, too much. But well, uh, but no, uh, thank you, Paul, for sharing your perspective because I think it's something that touches everybody. I've had it in my family, um, and. Get yourself checked. Get it looked at. Um, is it comfortable? No. Is it necessary? Absolutely. So, 
but we'll, we will both be wearing orange. I'm wearing orange now. You can't see that because you're only listening to my boring voice, but uh, we'll both be wearing orange uh, and cheering for Trey Mancini uh, on the home run derby here in a couple of weeks. So okay. good on him and good on baseball for giving him the invite because he deserves to be there anyway. But it's something where if this is truly for the fans and this is truly something to celebrate what's good in the game, especially after you've crapped all over the season, terrible transition from what we just talked about, but um, especially after you've spent the last month, you know, worried about everything that's wrong with the game and making it about sticky junk and, you know, all of the bad that can come from baseball, the all-star game should be a celebration of what's good in the game. And stories like Trey Mancini's are absolutely what is good about baseball. So let's celebrate it. I'm excited that he's there, and I will be cheering for him 100%. Absolutely. And, again, your public service announcement, go get tested. All right? Stay healthy for yourself and your family and your friends. Live long lives like Mr. Trey Mancini's going to do now, too. All right. So, right now, one of my favorite parts of LDR Depending on what city you're from or where you're from. It's the WTF section. What the F is going on with the injuries primarily impacting Tab's favorite division in all of baseball, the American League Central. <laughs> oh, the National League Central. <laughs> oh, the milk's gone bad. So, you know, we spent some time talking about the Futures game earlier. And one of the, you know, young prospects from Canada... Uh, who will be catching for the American League side, Bo Naylor, is the younger brother of Cleveland outfielder Josh Naylor. Uh, if you haven't seen the leg injury that he suffered on Sunday, I wholeheartedly no, encourage you don't. to not Thank you. <laughs> watch it. Gruesome injury, broken leg, season over, and he was a big part of Cleveland's Ooh. lineup. Really just awful to see. Almost simultaneously with Jose Abreu taking 96 to the knee, it looked like he was going to be down for a while. His x-rays came back negative, which is positive, and he's actually been in the lineup against Minnesota. I don't know how. Um, but, you know, Chicago's without Aloy Jimenez. They're hoping to have him back at some point in late August. Uh, Chicago Tribune reported this morning that Luis Roberts been cleared to increase baseball activities. He's about four weeks from rehab assignment. So the Sox could be looking at Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, two-thirds of their outfield, though Eloy should never put a glove on again because he's not only terrible, but he's important. Um, He's why the designated hitter exists. Um, But if the Sox can get them both back, but they've really, they played the whole regular season without Eloy Jimenez, who's one of the the middle-of-the-lineup impact bats for them. They've been without Luis Robert now for an extended period of time, and it's going to be at least another month before they see him again. Uh, Adam Eaton went on the disabled list earlier this week. Uh, Jake Lamb is banged up. I mean, they, they've, they're going with a mesh unit, and you literally, you, we talked about prospects and digging into prospects. The reason you have to care about it is because when your entire outfield's hurt, you have to, you know, look up in the media guide for Double A who the hell's playing right field tonight. Yep. So, Gavin Sheets got the call up for them. He got on, he got his major league debut under his belt last night. Clock ticking on free agency. Good for him. Um, but, no, I mean, the injuries in, in the AL Central were bad and just, you know, want to send best wishes out to Josh Naylor because that was awful, and he's a young guy who's really starting to come into his own there in Cleveland, and uh, and that's a big blow for them because, again, their offense is not good. It's not deep. Uh, and they have, they're pitching, and Tito Francona, who, for my money, could be manager of the year every year. You look at what they've been through this year with 
Francisco Lindor leaving and Carlos Carrasco, another cancer survivor, leaving in the big trade with the Mets and then basically being an afterthought this year and them being as close as they are to the White Sox in that division uh, has really been remarkable. But the Josh Naylor injury really hurts Cleveland's prospects of uh, you know chasing down the White Sox. But the White Sox aren't going to go away because they're dealing with enough of their own. So those two teams are fighting it out at the top of the Central, but they're both dealing with a lot of hurt right now. Um, and unfortunately for Cleveland, it looks like with the good news in the last week or so about Eloy Jimenez and today with Luis Robert, they could be getting a few guys back uh, here in a few weeks. Uh, but obviously with more injuries starting to mount up, it, it becomes hard uh, to actually have a healthy roster because guys need a day off every once in a while. Not everybody can be like Cal Ripken and just never come out of a game ever. Um, so, uh, you know, again, just brutal injury to Josh Naylor. If you haven't seen it, don't see it. Avoid that video like the plague. Keep scrolling. Uh, hit refresh on the old Twitter app on the phone. Keep moving because it was ugly. Think Joe Theismann. Um, and, uh, but we, we hope that he gets a fast, uh, and full recovery so that he can be a big part of their offense in 2022. Um, you know, when they look to move on from the Francisco Lindor trade and put that fully in the rearview mirror and, you know, do their effort to chase down the White Sox in the division, uh, in the future. But yeah, ugly injury for Josh Naylor. Hope that he's able to get back at some point here. Hey, two things on these two injuries uh, specifically. Jose Abreu uh, taking the 96-mile-per-hour fastball here. Uh, just reminds you about, I don't care what anybody says, uh, you know, you can go to batting cage and get yourself a feel for it, you know. But um, that heat coming at you from these guys on the mound, and it, it goes into a lot of stuff we've we've been talking here in LDR and, and you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the job that it is for a hitter to get up there and with your own mechanics and just having a style and, and whether you're a guy who can, uh, you know, hit to any location on the field or, or knock one out of the park or whatever. But, you know, that injury there reminds you of the speed of what's coming at you and, and how you guys get hurt. And I brought up here uh, earlier in the season, too, about just noticing how many guys now wear the it's, – it's like mandatory armor, the guys wearing the, uh, the, chin, the chin guard, the face side guard on the helmets – and uh, also on the elbows, and then the guys are wearing the uh, the shin protectors too as well. And, you know, like I said, I'm an older guy, 52. The guys years ago never wore that stuff. You would rarely ever see them wearing it, you know? Um, I think of, um, like, who's the, who's the kid who used to play on the Mets here? Um, uh, something with an, oh, I can't remember his name. But he used to wear, the, like, the, the ice cream cup helmet when he used to get up to hit. You know who I'm talking about, man. I just yeah. can't think of his name. Probably um, wants to say it was Nails, uh, Lenny Dykstra, but I don't think it was. Ordmeyer, was that his name? It sounds like it. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, um, but that just reminds you, you know, uh, him going down there. I just want to remind everybody of the speed. So anybody who's playing, uh, no matter what level you're playing, if you're playing, you know, some uh, beer league ball or you've played college or whatever, you guys know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to a batting cage. Set that sucker up for 90 miles an hour or whatever. And just stand there. And get a whiff we are of that not thing now, to be clear by here, here at Line Drive Radio. We are not advocating that you go full Happy Gilmore and take it to the chest. No, we don't want you to step there. I just want you to so. get a feel of that thing coming by you. Right, absolutely. And look, you talk about all the mandatory armor. The reality is that these batters are not well protected. I mean, they Barry Bonds, you know, had the you know the bulletproof arm guard. Uh, you know, he had a lot of other stuff in his system. Um, <laughs> 
and, captain, uh, and you're right. He was having that Captain America syndrome uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's he had the serum. Uh, actually, it was the serum, cream. That's the uh, word but, I was looking for not syndrome. Yeah. Serum. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, but they're not that well protected. I think that's why you heard Pete Alonso when we were talking about the sticky crap situation. Like because guys are throwing so hard. It used to be. You know, Kyle Farnsworth was throwing 100, and everybody wanted to see him come in a game because nobody, you know, one or two guys in baseball hitting 100. Now you've got a lot of bullpens that have two or three guys that do it with ease. Um, you would prefer that, as a batter, that the pitcher know where the hell the thing's going if it's going to leave your hand at 100 miles an hour and because they don't have protection everywhere. Maybe you've got, you know, your elbow or your the backside of your upper arm protected. Maybe you got a little shin guard little chin wrap, but you take that to the shoulder, you take it to the love handle, you take it to the hip. It doesn't feel good. No. And you took 96, square off the side of the knee, loud pop. This is a guy that, again, never wants to come out of a game, and he needed help getting off the field. I don't know how he's playing this week. I figured he'd probably take a few days to, to feel that one out, but he's out there you know, doing his thing against Minnesota in a big series, so... Um, impressive that he's able to walk at this point. I mean, I, I, you know, kick a kid's toy in the dark and I'm on the disabled list for five to seven days. Um, I know that so, one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I told you watch that and it puts a little different perspective on what Pete Alonzo was saying about pit, batters preferring that pitchers knew where yeah. the ball was going when they mm-hmm. release it because there's so much velocity in the game today. So you're right. Um, but again, if you're going to go to the batting cage, we are not advocating you happy Gilmore. Do not go in there and get hit by 90. But if you want to throw a couple coins in the machine and see what 90 or even 80 looks like and maybe take a hack or two, don't hurt yourself trying to hit it. Um, sure as hell don't try to bunt it if you haven't been in a cage in a while because that's a whole other animal. And wear, uh, and borrow your kids' goalie equipment, your hockey goalie equipment before you do that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And on Josh Naylor, and we, we were talking about this before we went on air, and uh, what still blows me away about Naylor's injury here, too, is just common baseball fundamental, ugh, fundamentals. To give my uh, broken English here. Um, communication in any sport, in any game, but especially in baseball. Fly ball, line drive, deep fly ball, outfielders, infielders, calling for the ball, brushing people away, the waves, the hands. I got it. I got it. I got it. And here it is, you know, uh, it, it happens. And you, you you have this kind of an injury, and it just baffles me in 2021 uh, that this still, this human, uh, and it's the same thing, too, like when you watch hockey and you see defensemen still watching the puck when they're supposed to be watching the player, you know? So uh, I just wanted to throw that back at you, too. And, and I know you were a coach, a little league coach as well, and um, you know, just my, my take there too, Tab, in terms of it just blows me away that these guys still don't communicate. And that's, that's stuff you learn from a little leaguer and here you are in a big game and a huge injury. And, and th- you're taught that over and over to avoid this type of horrific injury. And sure enough, it happens. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, my 10-year-old's playing on an 11U travel team with top tier. And, you know, we... There's two things that are the bane of my existence. Three, if you include swinging at bad pitches, but that's an epidemic everywhere. <laughs> two things. One, uh, stretch like you mean it. Don't say I stretched before I got here. Don't say I stretched in the car. That's how you end up with a pulled hamstring like two-thirds of Major League Baseball right now. Uh, Nick Madrigal of the White Sox done for the year with a hamstring yank. So stretch. Get yourself ready to play well. 
The second thing, communication, talk. You know, we've got a couple guys who will whisper to themselves, I've got it. You know, like, yell. You know, when we when I go out on the field, when we've got kids taking BP, you can hear me from two towns over when I'm calling the ball. Um, talk and know what your responsibilities are. Know whose ball it is. Mm-hmm. You know, on the Naylor play, if the second baseman's sprinting straight back and the outfielder's coming in, if the outfielder can get it, it's the outfielder's ball. The infielder needs to know to peel off. Um, know what you're doing there. If the outfielder hadn't yet, you know, it's on him. If, you can, if you're coming in full speed and there's another guy coming full speed and neither one of you calls for it, somebody's got to be yelling something. But communication is taken for granted and you see way too many collisions. You know, I, I told you this story. My son was playing right field. Uh, he and the center fielder both had a beat on a ball. Both of them stopped and stared at each other and the ball landed, you know, halfway between them. And I had a very uncomfortable conversation with both of them about, did one of you call it? Neither one of you did. You both could have caught it. One of you has got to go get it. Um, so you're right. You know, communication there. I don't know that either one of those guys called it. It was kind of falling in no man's land, but you would think that with some level of communication, either by the two guys chasing the ball or somebody else. Teammates? Uh, you know, unfortunately, you would have hey, hoped that somebody could have yelled some... Right. And, you know, you're not playing indoors in the old Chicago stadium where you can't hear yourself break wind that you're playing outside. Somebody could have yelled something. Uh, and unfortunately nothing, nothing was, uh, nothing was said until he landed. And then people were waving to the, to the bench for the trainer and the cart. So, um, you know, hopefully next time they talk, but, uh, but you know, again, Josh Naylor, if you, if you get a chance to see it, don't see it. Um, just give him your uh, your your best hopes and thoughts and prayers on him coming back next year in one piece because that's an ugly injury to come back from. Absolutely. All right, communicate. That's the main key thing there. Communicate, yell, scream. I got it, baby. Well, what we've got here is a failure, failure. to communicate. Yes. We uh, this uh, week's reference to Axl Rose brought to you by Revolver Podcasts. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Well, look at this. We're heading towards the end of the game here. And as always, before we uh, turn the lights off, shut down the concessions, spray down the infield here, before we put the locks on the gates of the stadium, we always do Tabs Fantasy add-on of the week. So get your pants out, your paper, and your PayPal accounts. Tabs got the pick for you. And Tab, take it away. Who is your fantasy baseball add of the week? You know, I think, Paul, after the All-Star game, we should go back to our fantasy edge of the week and just let people know how smart we are Um, because probably a third of them have been worth anything. But, again, if you took advantage of that third, uh, please feel free to send us a small portion of the proceeds at the end of the year. We'd happily take that. Um, I will say, however, Cedric Mullins was one of my early picks to click this year, so if if you added him, you're welcome because he's been worth it uh, pretty much ever since. Uh, This week we're going to go to Boston. And your uh, your favorite uh, no. Boston Red Sox, Not my Paul. No. I mean, should I adopt Boston since you've adopted Milwaukee? Sure, um, sure. Go ahead. Fair play. Uh, I'm, I'm all go. for that. So uh, the the fighting big poppies here. They retired. Uh, they had a nice ceremony for Dustin Pedroia, uh, who you know you think about him having his career cut short because of a leg injury when you see Josh Nittler go down. Pedroia is not our pick to click. Our fantasy end of the week, uh, going to the outfield in Boston, Hunter Renfro. Great name. Uh, 
former former uh, San Diego Padre. Uh, sounds like a stage name. Uh, maybe a nom de plume, as my father would say. Uh, Hunter Renfro uh, in the last week, 10 for his last 25 with three jacks. Uh, three walks, only four strikeouts in those 25 at-bats. Uh, 28 plate appearances. So really impressive week for Hunter Renfro. He's got 11 homers and 40 runs batted in with a 272 average for the Red Sox this season. He is owned in 34%, a little over a third of Yahoo League. So if you're in the other two-thirds and Hunter Renfro is available, I hereby advocate you considering Hunter Renfro in your outfield because he is piping hot right now, and those Red Sox are in first place in the American League East. So Hunter Renfro. This week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy Ad of the Week. There you go. Good stuff. Gotta love that. Starting outfielder, Austin Red Sox, Hunter Renfro. 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 I love these it's, baseball names. Sounds like a role that Harrison Ford would have played in like yes, 80 Exactly. Doesn't it? Absolutely. Love it. Where's the bombs, Hunter? <laughs> Come yes. on, Renfro. Tell us where the bombs are. Well, good stuff. Put them in there. End of the week. Win lots of stuff. Whatever you're doing with your fantasy leagues. And uh, we are taking lump sum collections of your winnings of any uh, additions here made through the uh, advice here of our own Tab Bamford here uh, online drive radio fantasy. Ad of the week. Uh, <laughs> Ad of the week. Ad of the week. I don't know. Uh, you know what that is? See, we, we got into like uh, Harrison Ford and an action movie, and I went to John Wick. That's what happens there. That's the brain. You know, That's what ad happens. Of, ad of the wake is when the pirates call someone up. <laughs> ad to the wake. Oh, man. Poor pirates. Poor pirate oh, man. Fans. Johnny Depp, starting pitcher, Saturday. Oh, I love it. Go get it. Go get him, Captain. All right, folks. Thanks so much, as always, for listening to Line Drive Radio. Another week in the books. We'll be back here next week as well. And thanks, as always, for following us at Line Drive Radio. And a big thanks, as always, to Line uh, Revolver Podcast uh, for having Line Drive Radio on their cast of great podcasts on their network. Go check out revolverpodcast.com and check out all the other great shows as well, too. So with that said, good day from me, yours truly, Miss Polkoff from the great city of New York. And Tab, as always, from the great city of Chicago, bid our fans and folks adieu. Make sure that you vote. For your favorite all-star finalists, make sure that you consider attending a minor league game soon. If you can't, if it's too hot, watch uh, watch some College World Series on TV. And if all else fails, grab a glove, grab a ball, go play catch. Uh, enjoy the game, folks. It's a beautiful game. It certainly is. Well said, Mr. Bamford. And as always, play ball! My drive radio is out at the point. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.